You're listening to MIDI Storytime, part of the Spare Change Library. This week, we're beginning The Bride of the Tomb, or Lancelot Darling's Betrothed by Mrs. Alex McVeigh Miller, a thrilling tale of mystery and romance originally published in installments in the New York Family Story Paper throughout 1881. Tune in each week for the next chapter. Chapter 1 Sweet Lily Lawrence had committed suicide. Oh, impossible. A girl so young, so gifted, so lovely, the darling of her father's heart, the idol of her brilliant lover, the heiress of a splendid fortune. What had she to do with the grim king of terrors? Death to her was an enemy to be shunned and dreaded rather than a lover to be courted. And tomorrow was her bridal day. Yet there she lay prone on the velvet carpet, with its delicate pattern of myosotis, and the soft light of the June morning shining through the open window on the still form, robed in creamy white satin and priceless lace, the fair hair streaming across the floor, the turquoise blue eyes wide open with a look of unutterable horror frozen in their upward stare, the small and dimpled white hand clinching tightly a tiny jeweled dagger whose murderous thrust had left a ghastly, gory, crimson stain on the snowy satin lace above her heart. By that crimson stain, death claimed her for his own, the fairest bride the grim monarch ever took to his icy arms. A thrill of universal horror ran through the great city where she had been known and loved, not more for her beauty and wealth than for her sweet and gentle character. Friends came and went through the portals of Banker Lawrence's splendid brownstone mansion on Fifth Avenue for a sight of the beautiful suicide who had been expected to appear so soon as a happy bride. Mr. Lawrence, the bereaved and sorely stricken father, appeared like one dazed with grief and horror. Ada, his younger and only remaining daughter, was confined to her room in strong hysterics, attended by the maids. Mrs. Vance, the beautiful widow of a second cousin of Mrs. Lawrence, a lady who made her home at the banker's, was the only one in the house who retained sufficient calmness to attend to anything at all. It was she who kept back the curious throng of news-seekers who would fain have invaded the mansion. It was she who talked with sympathizing friends, breaking now and then into a heart-wrung sob and hiding her eyes in her damp lace handkerchief. "'Oh, doctor!' she cried, as the physician, who had been hastily summoned after the shocking discovery, bent over the pale form, trying to see if any spark of life remained. "'Oh, doctor, she is not really dead, is she? Surely our darling Lily is not gone from us forever!' The physician looked up curiously at the dark, beautiful face of the speaker now convulsed with grief and horror. He bent again over the recumbent form, closely examining the beautiful white features of the girl, touched her wide-open eyelids, felt her tightly clenched hands carefully, and laid his ear over the still breast whose crimson blood had stiffened the bridal robe, above her tender heart so lately bounding with the joyous pulses of youth and hope and perfect happiness. "'I am sorry to say,' he answered, rising and looking down with a pale face and trembling hands, that Miss Lawrence is, indeed, no more. Life has been extinct for hours. A few hours later, a coroner's inquest was held over the remains. Mrs. Vance, Miss Ada Lawrence, and the deceased girl's waiting maid were the three who had seen Lily Lawrence last in life. Their testimony was accordingly taken. The maid deposed that on the night on which the fatal event had transpired, Her mistress had kept her in her room until about eleven o'clock, 
for the purpose of making some trifling alterations in the fit of the elegant white satin bridal robe. While thus engaged, Miss Ada Lawrence and Mrs. Vance had come in for a chat with Miss Lawrence. Miss Ada, a young schoolgirl and fond of finery, had persuaded her sister to don the beautiful dress and veil. After staying a while and admiring the loveliness of Miss Lawrence, the maid had been dismissed, her young mistress saying that she would herself remove the dress, having already laid aside the veil and wreath of orange blossoms. She, the maid, had accordingly bidden the ladies good night. The next morning, as usual, she had gone at eight o'clock to call her young mistress. She had found the door locked on the inside. In response to repeated knocks and calls, no answer had been elicited, and becoming frightened, she had repeated the fact to the family, who were just assembling at breakfast. Mr. Lawrence had caused the door to be forced immediately. On entering, they had found Miss Lawrence lying dead upon the floor, arrayed in her bridal dress, and clutching in her right hand a small jeweled dagger. She was asked here by the coroner if the dagger had belonged to Miss Lawrence. She answered in the affirmative, saying that Mrs. Vance had presented it to her a few days before as a bridal present, and that it had lain on the dressing table ever since as an ornament. Being asked why they had supposed it to be suicide instead of murder, the affectionate girl burst into tears and replied that her sweet young mistress had not an enemy on earth, so that no one could have murdered her for malice, and that none of her splendid jewelry or bridal presents had been touched, so that no one could have murdered her for gain, and that the natural inference was that Miss Lawrence had taken her own life with her own weapon. The young lady had seemed much as usual in her manner when she last saw her, had betrayed no undue agitation of mind, and was only anxious about the fit of the bridal robe in which she was to appear on the morrow. The maid was suffered to leave the stand, on which Miss Ada Lawrence, dreadfully nervous and agitated, was led in and took her place. Her testimony was merely a corroboration of the maid's. She had left the room in Mrs. Vance's company shortly after the maid's dismissal. Both had kissed her goodnight and left her standing at the mirror, smiling at her lovely reflection. Lily had seemed in good health and spirits. She did not know of any reason for her sister's committing suicide, but as she had no enemies and nothing had been touched in the room, it was the natural inference. She had not seen her sister again until the next morning, when she lay cold and dead in the middle of her room. Mrs. Vance gave substantially the same testimony, with the addition that she had heard Miss Lawrence lock her room door after their departure. She knew of no cause that could have driven the young girl to take her own life. For a few months past, she had noticed that Lily had strange fits of depression and abstraction. She had thought then that some secret sorrow preyed on the mind of her cousin, but she did not know of what nature. She was suffered to retire, her agitation growing uncontrollable, while many admiring glances followed her graceful form as she swept from the room. Dr. Pratt was next called to the stand. He was a tall, dark, sinister-looking man, with restless black eyes and a nervous manner. He gave his testimony briefly and to the point. He was not Mr. Lawrence's family physician. He was riding past the house on his way to visit a patient when he had been suddenly called in by the summons of a domestic, who rushed frantically into the street after him. He had gone into Miss Lawrence's room, where he found the family assembled and indulging in the wildest grief. The young bride-elect lay dead upon the floor, grasping a small dagger in her right hand. Upon examination, he found that life had been extinct for eight or nine hours. He thought that death must have been instantaneous with the dagger thrust. From the prose of the body and the position of the right arm and hand, together with the direction of the deadly weapon, all the probabilities pointed to an act of self-destruction.
A few more witnesses were examined, but nothing new was elicited, and the jury retired to consult. The verdict was given to the effect that Miss Lawrence came to her death by a dagger thrust inflicted by her own hand, probably under a temporary aberration of mind. That concludes this week's installment of The Bride of the Tomb. Turn in each week for the latest chapters released on Thursdays. This production of The Bride of the Tomb features the voice talents of Laura Bang and Damian Katz. Chris Hallberg voices the intro and outro narratives. The theme music is The Guava Rag by Brett Donnelly. Midi Storytime in the Spare Chambers Library produced by Lancelot Darling and Friends. This podcast is brought to you by DimeNovels.org, the Edward T. LeBlanc Memorial Dime Novel Bibliography.